We've been going through a series uh, called Upside Down, and, and it's called Upside Down because when you think about um, uh, the Beatitudes or the blessed art, what happens is it, it doesn't make sense. Um, you have blessed are the poor in spirit, um, blessed are uh, the meek, blessed are those who mourn, and, and I start to question and say, how are those that mourn happy? How are those that are meek happy? How are those that are poor in spirit happy? Um, and so we call this series Upside Down. So now we're getting to the point where uh, we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and we're talking about uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So interesting thing, um, when I was younger, I used to spend the summers at my grandfather's house, and uh, my parents would go to work, they would drop me off there, and, and in spending time there, uh, I would watch him pray. Um, we would sit down together and, and read the Bible together, and then we would also fold and stamp these tracts or these brochures that talked about Jesus. When we were done, we would actually walk the streets and, and to the bus stops um, and tell people about Jesus. And we're passing out these tracts and, and evangelizing the whole way. Um, we'd get on the bus and we tell people about Jesus as we're passing out tracts. And, and the interesting thing is that we'll sit, we, we'd sit down after we were done doing that and, and sit on the bus. And, and my grandfather was, was narcoleptic. So he'd sit there, we'd be in the middle of a conversation, and he would just fall asleep. So I think to myself, oh, I guess the conversation's over then. <laughs> um, and so we'd ride it all the way to the end of the line. I'd tap him and say, okay, Papa, it's time to get up. So we'd get up, we'd get off the bus, get back on the bus another bus and take it back and do the same thing over and over. So this happened from about the age of seven to about nine or ten. And something happened um, as we started to do that continuously. After about the age of nine, I had a sort of change of heart. Um, I would hear people, um, what they would say about my grandfather and I as we were doing it, or I'd hear my friends say, why don't you just stay and play with us? Why do you have to go with your grandfather and, and, and tell people about Jesus? And I was thinking to myself, yeah, you're right. You're right. So my heart began to get tainted, and I started to, um, to question wh why I was doing that. So I told my grandfather, I said, you know, do, do we have to go today? And he was like, he was like son, look, this is what God has called me to do. This is, this is, my, this is my role. So, so what happened was he stopped going a few times to the point where he told my father, I can't watch him anymore because he's keeping me from doing God's work. So what happened was as I was going out with my grandfather, I was experiencing, I was seeing God move in people's lives. I was seeing people healed, people delivered. I was seeing people receive salvation. But when my heart got changed, when it got tainted, all of a sudden, I no longer was able to experience that. So as we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If we think about the, the early text, it, it was written in Greek. So if we take some of the major words in the scripture and talk about them. So the word pure is actually the word katharos. And, and katharos actually means clean and blameless and um, unstained, free from guilt, innocent. The next word, blessed are the pure in heart. The heart word in Greek is actually cardia, where we get our word cardio or cardi cardiac or cardiologist. So it's talking in English of the physical heart. But in Greek, in, the, in those texts, it was actually meaning the 
the, the um, figurative heart. In other words, your center of life, all your feelings, all your emotions, um, your will, your intellect, and your character. And then we get to the word see. The word see is actually horao. And that is not the physical see like I see you right now, but that's more of the seeing in the mind. So the perceiving, the experiencing. So as we think about this scripture and, and, and we think about as Jesus was talking to the people and saying, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, we have to take it back to the beginning to understand about a pure heart and what happened to that pure heart. So in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. After God had created everything, he looked upon it and said, it is good. After he made man and woman, he looked upon them and he looked said, and said, this is good. So when God says something is good, oh, you better believe it's good. It was pure. It was holy. It was sanctified. It was without spot or blemish. Then we get to Genesis chapter 3. Man and woman were tempted. And when you think about temptation, temptation is not something that just is out there. It's something that you have to desire, something that, that's appealing to you. You could put a plate of peas in front of me all you want to. I could smell it, I can touch it, but I'm not tasting it. It's not temptation to me. But now if you pull out a fresh back, batch of baked cookies, especially chocolate chip ones, wave that in front of me, oh, that's temptation. It's over then. So they were tempted and said the fruit looked appealing to them. So they were tempted about this, and the pure in heart, the, the, the innocence that God had created in them, the pure motives that they had once Adam and Eve ate the fruit was no longer there. It says, so Adam decided and Eve decided to make a decision independent of God. They decided to make, make a, a decision out of disobedience to what God had said. So as we look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So it says their, both of their eyes were open, but it didn't say that they could see. It says both of their eyes were open and they realized, or in some texts it says, they knew. So their eyes were open in the mind. So in the mind, they realized. In the mind, they knew. So they were able to see or perceive because their mind was open beyond that which had God had ordained for them to know at that time. It says in Genesis chapter 8, as we move on, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called out to man, where are you? So they were hiding. God had walked down. It says, but the Lord God, right? They were hiding, but the Lord God. So they were trying to avoid God, but God was coming to find them. They had messed up. They had made a mistake. And so they were trying to hide, but it says, but the Lord God. 
He could have easily been like, mm, forget y'all. I don't have time for y'all. I know what you did. But he didn't. He said, where are you? I love it. I love it when God butts into my situation. Or as God likes to, or as, sorry, my wife likes to say, I love it when God puts his butt in my situation. Because it says, it says, but the Lord God. So the thing about but, but is a transition. So it kind of negates or lessens whatever happened before. So if I were to say, you're a great employee, but what you're going to focus on is whatever I say after the but, right? So when God comes and he says, it says in the word, but the Lord God, whatever they did was fine and dandy, but guess what? God is looking for them. That but is that transition that happens when God steps in. So I get excited about that but, but that, that's, that's not my focus. Let me get back to the focus. Okay, okay. It says, God was calling out to Adam because he wanted to be seen by them. He wanted them to fully experience him. And when I think about, about experience, it, it takes me to um, a time when I was 10 years old. And my parents um, told my brother and I we were going to Hawaii. And what you have to understand is that we didn't go on vacations like that. My parents worked hard to provide for us, and, and, and we, we were blessed through certain situations and circumstances to be able to have a trip to go to Hawaii. So I was so excited. I was telling my friend, I'm going to Hawaii. I was doing a little hula dance and everything. I, I, like, you don't know. Like, I was like ecstatic. If I could turn the flip, I would have. Like, I was so excited about being able to go to Hawaii. And as the time approached and, and it got closer, I began to want to have a little bit of independence of my own. I began to want to have my own stuff. So what my mind decided to have me do is go into my parents' room, open up the drawer where my allowance you know, envelope is, reach in there, take my allowance, and put it in my pocket and hide it. Right? And it would have been fine if I had just asked. But I decided to do it in my, on my own. As you can hear my father saying amen. I decided, I decided to do it on my own and do my own thing because I wanted my independence. And it was out of that desire that, that I went against my parents' will. So Adam and Eve, in the same manner, out of their desire to have knowledge independent of what God wanted to give them at the time, out of the desire to want to know good and evil apart from what God had allowed them to know, they went against his will. And the interesting thing about, about, about my story in Hawaii is that all I had to do when we got to Hawaii is just ask my parents for money. Now, they would either, either said yes, no, or as my mother would like to say, boy, you don't need to spend your money on that. But those are the answers that I would have received if I had just asked. If Adam and Eve wanted to know more, all they had to do was just ask God. And he would have either said yes, no, or not right now. But out of their disobedience, they decided to do their own thing. So 
when you think about Adam and Eve, that they eat the fruit. They eat it, and what happens is they allow sin into the world. But they don't just allow sin into the world. What they allow is disobedience into the bloodline. So the start of mankind is Adam and Eve. Eating the fruit allows sin to come into the world and enter into the bloodline. So it becomes genetic. It becomes part of the DNA. It becomes a part of our makeup, who we are. So they had done this and created this whole thing. And so it was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And then after it continues to get passed down, we, we get to a man named David. So David, it says, was a man after God's own heart. David wrote some of the most beautiful psalms in the Bible. As a matter of fact, we sing some of those praise and worship songs this, to this day. David was, 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 was just awesome man of God, but David also had a heart condition. Or as we would like to say now, David has some issues. <laughs> if they had made, or if they were to make a documentary out of David's life, it would probably look more like a soap opera. So as David is writing this Psalm 51, here's some background as to what happens. One, David had just committed adultery with Bathsheba, and Bathsheba was actually the wife of one of the soldiers in his army. So after doing this, you would think, oh, okay, he messed up. It doesn't end there. Situations occurred following that until eventually Uriah, or the soldier in his army, or Bathsheba's husband, gets sent off to war. And not only is he sent off, David make sure the leader of his army knows to put Uriah in the front lines because he knew that Uriah would not survive in the front lines. After all this, the prophet at the time, Nathan, comes to him and says, paraphrase and very brief, God knows what you did. God knows what you did. So this is David's mindset as, as he writes this. And it says, In verse 5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So David recognized this genetic propensity to sin. He recognized that that there was something in him that, that was there before he was even born that he had no control of. So as he thinks of that, He then writes Psalm 51, verse 10, and he says, Create in me a pure heart and renew the steadfast spirit within me. Or, create in me a clean heart and renew the right spirit within me. David had asked God to create a new heart in him. He didn't say fix this messed up heart, you know, duct tape it, sew it, whatever you got to do, God. He said, Creating me a new heart. Because David understood that what he needed, the heart that he needed, did not exist here on earth yet. What he really needed was a heart donor. And if you think about a heart donor, there's certain conditions that have to be met for there to be a heart donor. One, 
someone has to pass or someone has to die. Two, the person that passes or dies has to have the right heart. They have to have a match. And when there's heart surgery that's done and a new heart that's put in, there also has to be a blood donor. At that time, no one had the right heart. No one had the right blood either. What he needed was, 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 a, was a pure heart and clean blood. He needed the blood of someone that was, that was without blemish, someone that was, that was not stained, someone that was an innocent person. What he needed was the ultimate blood donor, Jesus. There was a hymn that we used to sing in church, and my wife was looking at me. I'm not going to sing. Don't worry. I'm not going to sing. I will read it, and y'all can sing if you want to. It says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. See, the ultimate blood donor, Jesus, had not yet come to this earth. So David is asking the creator of the universe, make me something that doesn't exist. Create in me the heart that you originally created when you created man. So David's like, take this, look, this thing inside of me is messed up. It's all, like, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what to do. I was conceived with this condition. Help me, God. David wanted to experience or fully experience God, or the Greek word, horao. He wanted to horao God. He wanted to see and perceive God. He wanted to experience God in the fullness. And the only way that he could do that was with a pure heart. He needed God to, to, to move. He needed, he needed the God intervention in his heart because he recognized that, that it's not right. It's not, it's not beating right. It's not, it's not pumping out the right blood, Lord. Help me. Get me there. Create this in me, Lord. There's a poem. It's called New Heart, New Mind. It says, Jesus, all God, all man, supernatural. I pray Christ stays on your mind like you had a five-inch afro. With no clippers in sight, no barber to fade. May God's word penetrate your heart like a surgical knife, 12-inch blade. Band-aid, no way. This is heart surgery, triple bypass. Christ sees straight through your heart like x-ray vision spyglass. You might ask how, because he's the light and our flesh is translucent. The reason for the surgery is to give us a spiritual blood transfusion. Confusions, Arthur? No. He wants to impart infinite wisdom. We are to display his glory and his light like we were the prism. The incision was made in the heart. Now it must penetrate the mind. Christ must be in it every hour, or should I say all the time. 
He'll realign your brain cells as he works on your cranium. Your bond with Christ must be stronger than 10,000 tons of titanium. He gives us a new mind because our thoughts are all wrong. With repentance, sin is like candy in a child's hand. All gone. Call on the Savior Christ because sin got us all infected. It started with Adam. It's in the blood. In biological terms, it's genetic. A narcoleptic couldn't sleep on the reality of the God-man Christ. We're said to have 20-20 vision, yet sometimes we walk around like three blind mice. I stay up in God's word like an insomniac. Without Christ, our soul is lost, like a kid who don't know where their mommy at. New heart, new mind. As the worship team returns, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus is really trying to get to the heart of the situation. When he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He wants us to fully experience all of God. Some people say, follow your heart. That didn't work out too well for Adam and Eve. Didn't work out too well for David. And based on the stories I shared about myself, it didn't work out too well for me either. Because it's better if we follow after the heart of God. Because then we, we stay on that, that right path. Because the truth is, in, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So as we think about the good things that we do with our lives and, and the good things we do for others, that's awesome. But God is absolutely looking at your heart. What are your motives as you're doing it? What's the reason behind it? So we look at the surface, but God digs deep. He wants to know the truth. 